0: Would you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory. "'and the two men who stood with him. "'Just as they were leaving him, "'Peter said to Jesus, "'Master, it is good for us to be here. "'Let us make three dwellings, "'one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, "'not knowing what he said. "'While he was saying this, "'a cloud came and overshadowed them, "'and they were terrified as they entered the cloud.' Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my Son, the Chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The transfiguration is unlike any other event in Jesus' life. The garments, the dazzling light, an overshadowing cloud, a voice, the presence of two men who come from somewhere and then are gone, um, the, the very countenance of Jesus' face. If we were to describe this in an overused and trite word today, we might say it was all a little bit surreal, transcendent. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is always in glory, but not so much in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here is the only time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where Jesus uh, is uh, what we call transfigured like this. Luke describes the event, but Luke doesn't explain the event. I would like a little bit more. I will say to you that I have always felt, always felt unequal to the task of preaching the, res- the, the transfiguration. I feel like I've usually failed in my effort. I secretly wished that Marcus or Tommy would have had this week. <laughs> they head up to the mountain to pray, Jesus and, and three of them. It, it is perhaps where we get that idea of a mountaintop experience. Um, they have gone up there, Jesus, with only these three, but even praying is apparently not all that simple because before long, Peter, John, and James do what? They fall asleep. Of course, nobody in here has ever fallen asleep while you've been trying to pray. That's very unusual. Um, But Peter, John, and James, uh, it's it's apparently not all that simple, even just to pray. They nod off. And that is rather worth noting, I think, because this whole transfiguration experience begins with, as Luke describes it, them being weighed down with sleep. They are, I think, they are half awake, half asleep. That is a rather pleasant experience, is it not? To be, you know, kind of mildly disoriented, you're not asleep yet, but you know you're kind of moving towards dreamland. You've been there, haven't you? Your thoughts start getting a little bit tangled up. They, you might start out being logical, but before long, you are illogical. its I don't know that our vocabulary has a single word to describe that feeling, but I know what that feeling is. And your head begins to nod. You start to drift off like some of you are anticipating doing any minute Now. And in their half-awake, half-asleep, there are two men. Where'd they come from? How did they get here? And then adding to this mystery, Luke says there is this cloud, always kind of in the Bible a representative of, of divinity. A pillar of cloud leads the Israelites through the wilderness, When they finally get to Mount Sinai, there is this cloud uh, uh, covering the mountain, and it's quite frightening. And the Hebrews say to Moses, you go up there. We don't want to have anything to do with that. We don't want to get even close to that. So there is this cloud uh, in this transfiguration story. Oh, Luke doesn't tell us what it is—cirrus, cirrostratus, cumulus. Um, we don't know what kind of cloud. I, I don't do not think it is one of those fluffy cumulus clouds. That's just, you know, I don't, I don't picture this as the sky is all blue and up ahead, away uh, up there is this beautiful cloud. I think what it is is that they are encased in the cloud. That there is all of a sudden this thick fog that comes in and sometimes um, envelops the mountaintop. Bonnie and I took a a trip a few years ago uh, along the Blue Ridge Parkway. Some of you perhaps have done it. We drove it from south to north. We had two friends with us. Uh, We started in Asheville. Um, Asheville is the highest point of the Blue Ridge Parkway. We told them how magnificent the views were going to be. They are from uh, England. It was encased in darkness, thick fog. You could walk out to some of those uh, lookouts, and you could hold your hand out, and you could barely count your fingers. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have experienced that. I think it is that kind of a cloud that is blurring uh, uh, the difference between what is and what might be. This whole—Are you get the idea? This whole experience—you're half awake, you're half asleep. Uh, uh, there, I see it. No, I don't. Um, and then comes what. A voice. Now, come on, folks. To hear any voice that you are not expecting is unsettling. To hear any voice, if you are in the house and you think you're the only one in the house, and all of a sudden uh, a friend or a spouse calls up, you jump. I mean, it's it is spooky to hear a voice when you are not expecting that voice i get sometimes i'll be down somewhere in in the little woods that we have behind our house i will oh, hear somebody that i hadn't expected here i get goosebumps let alone if the voice comes from a cloud and i don't know how a voice what a voice from a cloud sounds like but i don't think it was anything uh meek and mild but maybe it was is it a loud, booming voice? Is it a whisper? Do they all three hear it exactly the same? Luke doesn't tell us any of that, but Luke says they are terrified. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. Jesus is full of light. Jesus is full of light his garments, and the expression on his face. In some ways, this is the most mysterious part of this entire story. Light, light, dazzling, radiant light. I sit on my front porch sometimes. It won't be long before I'll be back out there again in the early morning hours. I sit on my front porch in the darkness, and as the sun comes up out in my front woods, it will be all dark, all dark, except somehow or other there is one pool of shimmering gold sunlight. I don't know how the sun on the eastern horizon has Uh, managed to get to that one spot, but all of a sudden for a while there's this shimmering pool of gold glowing out in my dark front yard. It's magical. Magical. Uh, Every season has its blessings. One of the blessings of winter that I think we get to experience down here are these magnificent sunrises and sunsets you get them in the winter more than any other time of the year and, and I, I enjoy it most in the, in, in the western horizon that sun is almost setting and the, the clouds are, are salmon and blue and purple and colors that I don't have names for they're just gorgeous light light Most magical of all are those times when overhead there are these dark storm clouds, um, and and everything is dark. But somehow or other, on the horizon, it it, it is all clear over there. And, And as that sun sets with a clear horizon, but the sky overhead dark, there is have you you paid attention to this there is there's something magical about the light, the light itself it's it's the the light is dancing and it's kissing every blade of grass and every leaf, and the atmosphere is sparkling and i 'm not the only one surely that has ever seen this, Bonnie and I on the rare occasions that happen, you want to walk out into the yard and and throw your arms around the sparkling radiant uh, uh, ephemeral light I, I The light is to me out of all of the imagery of of what Luke is trying to portray in the Transfiguration. It it is the magic of the light. Ansel Adams, the great photographer, would wait hours and hours to take a picture, to take a photograph, until the light was exactly right. Monet, Perhaps the father of Impressionism, Monet was obsessed with painting light. And those canvases he has, uh, six and a half feet tall, of the water lilies that were painted from the beautiful garden uh, uh, where his studio was. Those, those water lily paintings are painted at different times of the day so that he could capture the light in different ways. This is Jesus. He's dazzling. It's not just his clothes. There's something about him, about his very face. To call this the, the transfiguration is not to do it justice. So Peter begins stammering. He says something, but he doesn't know what he's saying, and he doesn't know why he's saying it. Who can blame him? Who can blame him? If somebody asks you today, what did the preacher preach on, say that the preacher preached that stammering is not always a bad thing. It's not always bad to stammer. It's not always bad not to find your words. Listen, I hate stammering. It is the worst nightmare of a preacher. That's why I've got notes here, so I won't stammer. Let me be organized. Let me be prepared. Uh, If I can't be brilliant, at least let me be cogent. Uh, Let me, Lord, even be boring. Just don't let me stammer. Peter stammers. It is there are times when it, like Charles Wesley says maybe it is good to be lost in wonder love and praise or as Henry Adams wrote it in his masterful account of uh, the cathedral of uh, Mont Saint Michel that 12th century A cathedral perched on a rocky crag off the French coast. Uh, uh, Adams describes how the architects and the builders and the priests of the Middle Ages tried to connect the eternal and the earthly. He he describes how they tried to uh, connect the everlasting power and glory through stone and wood and stained glass, and of their effort, Adams says... They struggled in their littleness to grasp infinity. Sometimes you just got a stammer. Uh, we we like to emphasize, and I'm all for this, that that you and I have to share our faith, and we you know we try to teach people ways to do that, but and that's a good thing. But I wonder if we have lost the mystery sometime. Have we lost the sense of the divine that that to be in the presence of god it's overwhelming it's mystifying it is it is uh, you, you you don't have words for it and I like that there is a buzz in this church right now I am grateful for that buzz and the excitement over our new pastor and uh all of the the things and the ways that we can be, I hope that part of the buzz in the community is those people just stammer sometimes. Like I did when the choir got finished today. I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. When Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is shining. He didn't even have to say anything. They could look at him and they could see he'd been near God. This is a gift, the transfiguration. We don't produce it. We can't plan it. We can't create it. Um, It is, I would say, intense, personal, and rare. Doesn't happen all the time. I wanted to tell you this morning about Descartes. I had this story about Descartes, and I knew what the story was, but I couldn't remember all of it, so I Googled it, and I wanted to find it, and I still couldn't find it. I thought, okay, maybe it was Spinoza. I Googled Spinoza. I couldn't find it. I thought, I'm going to make it up, and I thought, no. I, I, I said, there's one person in this church who can help me, one person only. I called Marcus. I said, Marcus, what about that story about that philosopher? I want to tell it. It it was Descartes, I think. And and Marcus thought for five seconds and said, I think that was Pascal. Marcus knew right away the story I wanted to talk about. It is the story about the 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal, philosopher, scientist, mathematician. If you know anything about Pascal, what you've heard is Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager was, uh, it is better to believe in God than not to believe in God. What do you have to lose? Even if you're wrong, uh, you have nothing to lose by believing in God. That's, but that's not the story I want to tell you. Pascal... When he was barely 30 years old, had an experience that was somewhat of a transfiguration kind of experience. November 23rd, 1654, late one night, this experience branded him. There was blazing light, came into his life, his room, his heart for two hours. He was overcome by blazing light. He, after the two hours were over, he wrote these words. From 1030 to 1230, fire. Capital F-I-R-E. From 1030 to 1230, he wrote fire, certitude, God of Jesus, forgetfulness of the world, joy, 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 tears of joy. He wrote those words. He sewed them into the lining of his coat so they would ever be close to him. Nobody knew about it until after he died. They found those words sewn into his garments. Fire. Fire. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. Jesus in his divine reality. So, all I want to do is put in a good word for stammering today. That in a response to the glorious inbreaking of the divine, That is an appropriate way to be. Your mountaintop does not have to be Mount Sinai. Your mountaintop does not have to be the Rocky Mountains, the Appalachian uh, Mountains, or even North Georgia. We are in Macon, Georgia, 381 feet above sea level. That's mountaintop enough. Amen.